just to sort of kick off on on diving into the book, uh, can you tell us why you wrote it? What are the key messages and, and who's it best suited for, Serena? So it's written not for people who are thinking of buying a house, although many who are may, but for people who've already made that decision. So they've made this that decision. Interest rates have gone up. Well, you know, we could all complain about it because it's, it's pretty unfair, right? So um, SHIT happens. But like, so what now? Welcome to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel, the leading weekly show to help you unlock your full self, health and wealth potential. I'm your host, Bushy Martin, and each week I go deep with the best investors, experts, leaders and founders to find out what it takes to break free from the grind, discover freedom and live by design. Subscribe now and join me and get invested in the life you really want. Let's get started. Hi, friend and fighters. This week, we continue with part two of our great conversation with Serena Bird. Last week, we dug into Serena's own property and mortgage journey, and now we pick things up to unpack her latest tips, tricks, and strategies to help you enjoy your life more with less financial stress, based on her latest book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years, Even When Interest Rates Are Going Up. So enjoy, and let's get invested. Look, um, really enjoyed uh, what you've shared with us so far on your your own journey. I, I now want to turn to your latest and greatest book, uh, How to Pay Off yep. Your Mortgage in 10 Years, Even When Interest Rates Are Going Up. So to set the scene around this, Serena, <laughs> uh, what common mistakes do you see many homeowners make in relation to paying off their home loan? Well, there's a lot. And I think one of the big ones is that they feel they need to renovate immediately and that they feel they need like all the best appliances. They need the brand new fridge and they need the brand new furniture. And it's understandable, right? Because they're really excited, often particularly for first home buyers, younger first home buyers today. They are living at home for a lot longer than previously. So it's a whole different trend now. Uh, So, you know, they often haven't had that flat um, uh, made experience or haven't had as much of it. They've been living with mum and dad for a long, long time. And, you know, by the time they get their house, they really want to make it beautiful before they have people over. Um, uh, my eldest stepdaughter, and I don't really like using that term, but, you know, she's 34. And so she's just moved into their dream home six months ago after building. So it's a lot, lot later now that they're moving in. But that said, because of the way compound interest works, you know, it's a big snowball. So the the quicker you can reduce that principal, especially early on, the better. So if you're able to wait for a little bit, it makes a huge difference. And I always remember laughing because we got this um, secondhand furniture. These days you could probably get a lot of furniture free either on the curb or through buy nothing. But in those days, I think it was definitely a Selvo's piece. And uh, they had these really bad cushions on 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 the four seater um dining set seating dining setting is is um gilding the lily a little bit it wasn't that exciting it was a you know a, a wooden thing but underneath someone had written with big big marker pen you know mum dad and the name of the kids and then over time the kind of cushions disappeared and people would come over and they kind of laugh about this you know like this big house and you know mum dad and the kids but you know until we could afford nicer furniture that did fine. So, you know, I guess that's the biggest uh, biggest mistake is, you know, having too big of a mortgage to start with um, and then spending more on things, which is understandable because everyone wants, most people want a really lovely home, but, you know, spending too much to make it look good too quickly. 100%, having to have a now rather than that delayed gratification. Yeah. Which, uh, you know, I was very similar to you when, when I came out of my first marriage, we, we had zero uh, and when uh, my now uh, partner in all things, Sonia, got together, I remember the place we lived in, we couldn't even afford heating or cooling. So uh, we, in the heat of winter, we're sitting there with our beanies on with with, uh, <laughs> with steam coming out of our mouth. And I remember laughing about it uh, because it's like, well, we're here now, but we know where we're going. And, and by making this sacrifice, we know that things are going to get a lot better down the track. If you can actually gamify the exercise so that you're actually enjoying this and you know that you'll laugh about it in the future, I think it makes it a lot easier rather than have to keep up with the Joneses and have the, the latest and greatest and most expensive everything right here, right now. So uh, so a really good exercise there. And I guess that's a, a really good segue into the book then because I'm, I'm just to sort of kick off on, on diving into the book, 
Jade. Can you tell us why you wrote it? What are the key messages and, and who's it best suited for, Serena? So I actually wrote this because I was approached to write it. So Leslie Williams from Major Street Publishers contacted me in, I think it was about mid-February. I'm trying to think of the date. It wasn't Valentine's Day, so I think it was before that. We had a big um, multicultural festival here in Canberra, and I remember it was that weekend. So she contacted me on a Thursday. I sent a few ideas across to her via email. We had a meeting on a Friday and nutted out the book chapters on that Friday, and she sent over a contract on the Monday. It all happened very quickly. And... um, I'd been noticing the cost of living crisis, obviously, because I write about uh, frugal things, but had sort of felt a little bit like um, not quite helpless, but sort of wasn't quite sure how I could be helpful because uh, a lot of people are really in, in distress and it's really important to get the tone right with that. Sure. And, um, you know, she was really adamant that, you know, something needed to be written, that uh, she recalled the success of Anita Bell's book, Your Mortgage and How to Pay It Off in Three Years. And I can't remember when that was published, but it must be over 20 years ago. I remember reading it. It was it was so influential for me personally. Yep. I still remember key parts of it. So it was sort of time to do something with a more modern slant that was more relevant. And I must admit, while I was overjoyed about doing this and I had to write it quickly, I was also a little bit nervous. And I guess this goes into the point of who the audience is and who the t- about the tone. Yeah. And I know that first home buyers particularly often feel really like they've been patronised, that they've been spoken down to. They feel very anxious, you know, with the cost of their mortgage and they feel like they'll never be able to repay. I didn't want to come across as, you know, a slightly older woman woman talking down to them and insinuating that this cost of living crisis and the housing affordability crisis is all their fault. I really wanted it to be more compassionate and also practical. So it's written not for people who are thinking of buying a house, although many who are may, but for people who've already made that decision. So they've made this that decision, interest rates have gone up, well, you know, we could all complain about it because it's it's pretty unfair, right? So um, SHIT happens. But, like, so what now? Like, you know, what happens now? And I, I was really insistent on having um, a younger editor, um, and the editor, she was just brilliant. And I really just wanted to make sure that it wasn't tone deaf. And it's very much a bit like a, a choose-your-own-adventure. Like, I mean, I'm pretty frugal, and not everyone is necessarily going to immediately overnight adopt my lifestyle. Um but it definitely gives you quite a few, I, I believe, will give a quite a few insights that will get people thinking, uh, particularly even compound interest. Like, I mean, I know it's pretty obvious and you obviously work on finance and have had lots of guests, but like, people really don't know what that means until they start seeing a few graphs. Um, and, and the interesting thing in terms of audience is while I thought most of the readers for this book would be a younger audience, uh, sort of people in their 20s and 30s, um, and usually I write or podcast for a slightly audience, an old, slightly audi- older audience, more in line with myself. Yeah. I found that it tended to be mums buying the book for their kids, which was pretty awesome. So actually, it fits both demographics. Yeah, I, I've, I've got to say, having read the the book cover to cover, I, I think it's got a really good tone. It's got wide applicability. And as you say, uh, people can cherry pick what feels right to them, but you've given them such a really good menu of ways that are going to enable them potentially to be able to knock off big holes in the home loan and pay it off years earlier in a way that suits them without feeling they've been uh, talked down to or patronised in any way, as, as you as you mentioned earlier. So I, I think you've absolutely achieved that goal in spades. Thank you. Serena? Uh, so uh, congratulations on that front. But uh, I, I guess sort of now getting into the book, uh, why is paying your mortgage off such a sound financial strategy, do you think? Uh, once again, another good question, because often people feel like, you know, their mortgage is a set and forget for 25 to 30 years, increasingly 30 years. Um, and because the interest rate is actually, you know, often lower than projected returns from other things that, you know, it, it's kind of the boring safe option. But there are a number of reasons to do that. It's a compound interest is the big one. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's like this big snowball. And so the quicker you pay it off, the better. So like, 
you know, $1 paid off now isn't just $1. It's like $1 over that 30 years. And it doesn't equal 30 years. It's complicated the way it gets uh, treated because, you know, the interest is still going up. But certainly the quicker you get into paying off that principal, the less interest you're going to pay over overall. I mean, if you don't pay it off quicker, you'll end up paying more than what you paid for your house in interest. Um, and so once you start playing around uh, with um, online mortgage calculators and you see, it's not just the time, it's the interest you save. You go, whoa, that's a lot of money. So that's a big one. Uh, the second one is uh, that it's, you know, it's that emergency fund. It's that contingency fund. You know, uh, assuming you have a way to access that those funds, uh, you know, whether you've got a redraw facility or an offset account, you know, you and, and you know, and, and obviously sometimes some banks, for various reasons, have in, in at various times not allowed people to withdraw. But if you're regularly repaying, you can usually withdraw. So if you have something that comes up in your life, suddenly and let's face it we often do i mean i've got you know expensive orthodontic stuff this year but sometimes other things happen quite unexpectedly uh you know it could be you know touch wood for instance getting older parents into aged care homes quickly you know you've got this ready cash that's there and it is much better than say just putting it in a bank account because it's bringing down that principle so it's a really sound investment it's also a really good tax-free way of saving in in a way too. So there are some tax advantages to doing that as well. So there's a number of reasons too. And it gives you that kind of buffer, that kind of economic buffer. And then later you can invest in other things, but just sort of get a bit of security in your home first. Yeah, I love that. But I, I want to focus on the the ten year horizon for Luna because yeah. as we've said a couple of times already, on average six hundred thousand dollar loan at six percent. Uh, then you know the monthly payments for a PI loan are about three thousand six hundred bucks a month. Now that just to put some shape around that, I'm taking this directly out of out of the book. That means that the total cost of the loan is going to be nearly one point three million, and the total interest payable is just under seven hundred thousand based on that. So uh, they're pretty big numbers, and 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 they it are. what you've just said in relation to you know you're paying more in interest than you've actually potentially paid for the property. Uh, but sort of based on the average six hundred thousand dollar P and I loan at six percent, uh, how much uh, extra do you need to repay every month to pay it off in ten years? Have you got a feel for that? Yeah. So based on my calculations, which I all did at the MoneySmart.gov.au, I think I worked out it was like. Uh, and quote me if I'm wrong, because you've been looking at my book more quickly, more recently than me, I think it was 6,661 a month, which sounds horrendous, right? It sounds horrid. Um, but that said, if you are, say, two people working together, you know, if you can manage to live off one loan, if you can take on some secondary work, if you can live super frugally, if you can Airbnb a room, if you can have flatmates, uh, you can sell a car, like there's all these different ways that you can get closer to that number. Now, you may not manage $6,661 per month um, in mortgage repayments because let's face it, that is quite a lot. But anything more than that baseline of about 3,597. And of course, everyone's mortgage will be different. This is just, you know, an, an example. We just kept it static so people can see that. Yeah. It's definitely going to make a difference, both in terms of how you 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 pay off your mortgage quicker and off the interest saved. So there's a whole lot of little decisions that you can make along the way that are going to have a huge impact on your mortgage. 100%. And I, th- I think it's worth reinforcing the the point you've already made that a uh, dollar paid off isn't a dollar because yeah. if, you, if you expand that out based on the snowball effect from compounding interest, it's tens of thousands of dollars over the, the term of the loan. Uh, so what might feel like a, a small incremental increase in the repayments has a massive uh, impact at the, the other end of the equation, both in time and and interest costs. So uh, it, it's worth keeping that in, in mind in that, that context. But uh, you've touched on a couple of these already, so I'd, I'd like to d- sort of dive into them a little bit. Uh, can you sort of break down for us what are the best goal setting and mindset strategies and hacks to actually reduce your mortgage then? Well, there's there's quite a few. Um, so I might just focus on a few that I like. So I kind of um, think it's really important to understand a little bit about neurolinguistic programming, which is a really fancy way of saying, are you the sort of person who likes to talk about seeing things or hearing things or experiencing things? And you'll usually know because, you know, you, you, you usually have a preference. Um, if you're the person who likes to see things, you know, write a graph, look at graphs, look at how they work. 
um, put a graph up about, you know, where you need to be, track your progress. Uh, that's a pretty good way to keep on track. Um, if you're the sort of person who who really gravitates towards sounds, like, you know, say your goal out out loud every night before you go to bed, which is kind of a Napoleon Hill uh, think and grow rich kind of strategy, really. And that's what he advocates, you know, looking at your goal, saying it out loud, feeling it you know, believing it to be true. And it does something, you know, subliminally to your brain that, you know, then you, the next day you go about your day, you, you're sort of consciously or un, unconsciously looking for opportunities to save money to get to that goal. Um, and then the third one is because I'm more of a kinetic learner myself and we're pretty rare, is I have to do something a little bit more than both of those. It's often kind of a combination of those two. Um, in addition to those two, I actually have to feel it so and experience it. So it might, for instance, be going into a bank branch or looking online about how you discharge your mortgage, thinking about how it would feel when you kind of see that zero balance, um, thinking who you might invite to a party to celebrate or what that party might look like. Um, so knowing a little bit about your preference can also help then to set your psychological tool, tool, tools in terms of uh, setting that out. So I think that's pretty important. Um, yeah, and I just think believing it's possible because there'll be so many people who will say, no, you can't do it, that's impossible, yada, yada, yada. And, you know, there's a lot of pressure to go out with spendy friends because in Australia we love our food, we love our culture. You know, there's always someone who's like, let's go for a weekend away, let's go visit a winery, buy lots of wine. Uh, you know, let's go to a restaurant, spend lots of money. You know, if you've got that really clear goal, it's really going to help. 100% and and beautifully uh, summed up there. I mean, I'm a very visual uh, learner and communicator. So just like you said, I've, I'm into vision boards and and others that, that really make that happen. Uh, but putting yourself in the space and feeling it, there's that intentional exercise attracts what you need to do and you start seeing more of it. So uh, I think, you know, beautifully summed up in in that regard. One thing I wouldn't mind you talking a bit more about because something I enjoyed in the book was avoiding loyalty tax, uh, <laughs> which I think is a, it's a great expression. Can you put a bit more shape around that for us? Yeah, well, I forget where it currently um, sits at. Um, the ACCC used to put out regular kind of um, notifications around this. I think uh, Professor Alan Fells used to talk about how many billions of dollars Australians uh, would pay every year on the, the loyalty tax. And I'm, I'm not sure where it, where it's at, but it's particularly important when it comes to mortgages uh, because often uh, banks or other lenders, because increasingly it's not just banks, there's a lot of... Um, um, non-traditional lenders in the market will offer these fabulous rates to new customers. So it's not just the honeymoon um, rates because often there's honeymoon rates for the first six or 12 months. It's more generally these, these fabulous, you know, rates. But then, you know, they won't, they'll start to not pass on, uh, say, interest rate cuts or they'll pass them on too much when the interest rates go up over time. So after a couple of years, you'll find that they're not so competitive. And um, people are too scared to do anything about this because it's really sort of scary and it's daunting and they just sort of go, oh, well, it was the best at the time. Well, we just get busy, like our life gets busy. Um, so we don't have time to shop around and see if there's a better deal and, you know, maybe if we could switch and there are costs quite a lot of costs involved in switching mortgages. It's kind of like your, your last ditch thing, but certainly I've done it and I've done it more than most people will. But when I calculate the savings, I'm like, yeah, hell yeah, I'm going to change. Or just calling up your 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 lender and just asking, you know, I'm on the best kind, am I on the best kind of deal? You know, and, and if not, why not? Now, I thought I was pretty pushy because I sort of do this, I don't know, every six to 12 months or so. But I met someone recently who does it every single single month and he's actually banking with one of the big four and he's got a great rate. And, you know, you don't have to be rude about it. Uh, you just have to, you know, be persistent and, you know, and, and know that, you know, that the way that the whole mortgages are structured, it's the new entrants that are getting a better deal than you and you are not being rewarded for your loyalty. Absolutely beautifully said, and uh, you know, we as you as you know, we've got a finance breaking team, so that's our bread and butter. We're 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 constantly asking uh, our clients, uh, lenders, what are they prepared to do? And you know, one thing I can suggest to anyone listening, uh, it doesn't take long to jump online and find out what a, a current 
cheap rate is, if you just go go to your existing lender with that rate and say, what are you prepared to do to match it? Otherwise, you're going to lose me. Uh, you'll be amazed at what most lenders are prepared to do. Uh, mind you, we have seen a slight change in that environment in recent times because a lot of the banks are now aware because the rates have gone up so strongly and borrowing capacity has come back, the banks know that a lot of uh, clients aren't in position to be able to re- uh, refinance even if they could because their borrowing capacity is no longer there. So that makes mm. it challenging and, and they've almost become like golden handcuffs to some degree. But the, the real key there, I think, as, as you've uh, really well mentioned, is to review this regularly because, you know, 70% of all the home loans written in the country now are, are done through finance brokers, uh, Serena, uh, which is a, a big chunk of them. And a good finance broker who knows his salt uh, and has access to, you know, there's about 40 different lenders and about 2,000 different loan solutions available in, in the market right now, then it's not difficult uh, to, uh, without incurring a lot of your time and headache to get a good finance broker to do that homework for you and do a cost-benefit analysis to see whether it's actually, you know, what is the true cost of the change and, and what's the break-even time on getting back to getting in front of that. Yeah. So uh, it's you know it doesn't take a lot of effort. Uh, there's plenty of opportunities there, and, and you'd be surprised at how much people can save. It's not not uncommon for our team to be saving you know twelve hundred bucks a month uh, just by uh, refinancing someone's loans to somewhere else. So it's a pretty big payday if you're prepared to to take that step. So beautifully said. Now, uh, one thing that I love about you, and I always loved about you, Serena, is your focus on food. And and your <laughs> and what you uh, share with us in that regard, and you've got some really good tips on on uh, on this whole exercise. Can you suggest some of those in relation to that whole aspect that uh, might help us reduce our home loan? Well, thanks. I'm a bit famous at the moment for my $100 a week grocery challenge. And actually, when I wrote my first book, The Joyful Frugalista, I talked about a $50 a week challenge. But a few things have happened. One is I've married a man with a big appetite. And uh, uh, my children, who were previously very young and didn't eat much, are now teenage boys. You know, how dare they eat? You know, next thing they'll be wanting to breathe, you know. (laughs) (laughs) It's terrible like that. And, of course, inflation has been a a real kicker with that. Um, Why I do this challenge, it's it's not because we are starving necessarily, but it's actually to reduce our waste. Uh, I have so much food, like, in my cupboards, in my freezers, in my fridge. People give me a lot of things. I'm very blessed like that. Um, And then plus I like cooking. And over time I've, I've developed quite a lot of frugal uh, cooking ha- hacks um, and, and in fact in the past I have shared a lot of budget recipes uh, including three years ago when we um, first met a little bit less so now but that's really how I started blogging actually really is blogging about frugal food uh, for instance you know as we speak I've got um, you know my uh, sourdough uh, starter brewing you know bubbling away in the kitchen that'll be another you know loaf of bread that I'll be making. I'm really into sprouting at the moment. So I've got some sprouts, uh, a seeds that are sprouting. I make my own kombucha. I make my own yogurt. Um, starting the veggie patch, uh, which is a bit challenging living in an apartment, but still possible. Yeah. Um, cooking with a lot of my own um, homegrown um, parsley, you know, and did a, you know, a big bulk shop on the weekend at Costco. So there are certainly a lot of ways uh, that you can eat within in budget. And be more mindful of your food and 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 your waste. A lot of it's about eating seasonally, menu planning, uh, you know, moving away from processed and packaged food, and also recognizing that there are times when we're just exhausted. So always having something that's ready to make in the freezer or an easy go-to meal, because often that's easier than being organized enough to decide what you want to have delivered or by takeaway. It like it just reduces the mental load. One hundred percent. I love all of that, and it's, it's a really good read. And what really interests me about the the combination of those exercises, uh, as you say in the book, you know, there's potential savings of one hundred and fifty bucks a week by doing that. Now, if you put that one hundred and fifty dollars into the average mortgage, then uh, as you well state in the book, that's going to save uh, nine years and four months, and reduce your interest bill on the loan by over two hundred and fifty thousand dollars. So uh, again, just by, by some very simple exercises there, there's a, a, a means of making a, a really big impact. Uh, the other area that I really enjoyed was, you know, rethinking uh, transport. So yes. can you can you share a, l- a little bit about uh, your thoughts around that as well? 
Yes, I've got really detailed calculations in my book and I'm not going to remember all of them on the podcast. Um, But um, I guess there's a couple of main things there. Firstly, we look at what happens if someone gives up, you know, a second car. And it's been a number of years since I'd done the maths. And I say I, the royal we, it was really my husband who helped me a lot with this. We did this collectively. Um, But I was actually shocked. From memory, in the past, I've sort of calculated roughly that having a second car, even if you don't drive it, is about $100 or so. But it's much more now. From memory, it was like closer to somewhere between $160 and $180 a week just by having it sit there and not do anything. Um, And that really just shocked me. Uh, Just uh, and then, you know, if you're actually, you know, using it regularly, if you're driving long distances, you know, the cost of petrol has gone up quite a lot, you know, particularly in recent months. Um, it's a big feature of 2023. So even driving a car is very expensive now. So they are all huge costs. So just by switching, you know, to walking, cycling, uh, using public transport, you can save a fortune. And when you think about it, if you live somewhere in a, in a city, and I'm, I'm blessed that I do, um, I'm walking distance to, um, you know, Canberra CBD. So we walk a lot and we cycle a lot. Uh, so we actually don't use our car unless with their sort of appointments to different places or visiting my in-laws who are on property outside of Canberra or, or car trips. You're already saving several hundred dollars a week, like just there. And then, yeah, just there, just there. And so, I mean, if you need two cars, like that's fine. But if you don't, like just really think about it, like what's it doing in your garage? And if you're not using it, consider renting it out because there's lots of platforms now where you can rent it out, either rent out your car space or rent out your car. Yeah, beautifully said. And you, you talk about carpooling and car sharing and yeah. trading the second car for a motorbike. Uh, there's some great options there that are also going to keep us fit at the same time, which is a which is a good exercise. And you know, when we looked at the the motorbike exercise, for example, and compared to the car, there's a, there's about 106 dollars a week saving in doing that, which again is nearly five and a bit over five and a half grand a year. And just by doing that, you can slice a further seven years and four months off the, the mortgage and, and save yourself over 200 grand's worth of interest. So, again, what it's this a dollar means more than a dollar exercise, I think. Yeah. Really reinforcing here because there's some little simple things we can do that are going to have other benefits that are going to have a major impact on and smashing that home loan over time. So, uh, so that's brilliant. Uh, the other thing I'd love for you to comment on is your take on the latte debate and the impact of cutting back on our takeaway. <laughs> copies what's your thoughts there well i'm a little bit of ahead of the curve on the latte debate and i've got a whole um chapter devoted to this and i i know there's a, a couple of other people like vince who are very strong in the it's okay to drink coffee camp but look how it all came about uh for me was years ago there was um oh i forget what the program was there's a money a cable money tv and they asked me to come on and they gave me this questionnaire about you know how much i spend on key things including coffee now i'm not a coffee drinker i've recently gone back to occasionally having decaf coffee but i'm one of these sort of people that if i drink coffee i just really don't sleep i run around all day i do things really fast but really badly and I make lots of mistakes and so when I was pregnant with my first child who turns 14 in a couple of days I just stopped drinking coffee altogether because you know it's it's recommended to reduce your consumption during pregnancy anyway and I knew I wasn't very good with it so and it wasn't that hard so I completely gave 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 it away so I couldn't put coffee down but I do drink tea so based on an LD tea bag that I often shared with my husband with a bit of milk no sugar I think I worked out it was like two or three cents um, I've got a whole table in my book comparing different tea brands and how much they cost in various iterations I've you know worked out how much it costs for the energy to boil a jug but let's just say you're not going to pay more than 10 cents for a cup of tea made yourself compared to going out and getting a barista made coffee which is going to be quite expensive so you know I you know went on and I talked about all this and it sort of became a bit of an issue and then when I uh, or a bit of a sort of hot topic and then when I published my first book The Joyful Frugalista I was invited on to Sunrise for a segment and we were in Coles and they were sort of looking at angles. And I said, well, you know what? You know, I often do talk about the savings with coffee. And, you know, even if you invest in like a quality instant coffee like the Kona, which is often on special, you're already saving this amount of money. So why don't we do that as an interest? So I sort of got a little bit glib and I sort of went, and you can save hundreds and thousands of dollars, you know, by switching to coffee. Um 
And then later that week, I was at a friend's place for a housewarming and he said, I saw you on TV. And I was like, oh, did you now? Because, you know, all very proud of this segment. And he said, I saw you on the project. And I was really confused because I didn't have a segment on the project. I was like, no, you must be wrong. It was like sunrise. He's like, no, 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 the project. And what I realised had happened was, you know, they often do a parody of various, uh, you know, media things that have happened that week. And so they'd taken that sunrise clip and they'd made fun of me and the, the amount of coffee that I thought they thought I might have drunk. Um Anyway, and I was mortified and I was really upset. Hubby told me just to laugh at myself and get over it. But, like, it really did take quite a while to get to that point. But being a writer, I went, right, I'm going to, you know, get my own back here. And so I started to crunch some numbers. And I thought, well, for a lot of people, they're probably stuck in a job like a public service job, for instance. I shouldn't say stuck because I have a lot of colleagues who, who love what they do. But say 42 years. Like it was just a random number. And say you have one cup of coffee every day. And at that stage, it was $4. And, of course, now you're lucky if you get a coffee for $4. And, of course, with most people, they don't just stop at a coffee. They'll have a croissant. I used to love the scones that, you know, the um, spinach and feta scones or the or the date scones. They were so good. Or the egg and bacon roll or, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, we're all human, right? You get yeah. a lunch while you're there, banana bread, whatever it is. Um, so it's not usually one coffee coffee and that's it it's usually coffee plus snacks and then you might come down a few more times during the day I mean I've had friends who said oh this is my third coffee it's just been such a nightmare day you get in that habit but we just did did the calculations based on one and I did the calculations a, a variety of ways but the most the thing that shocked me the most was that if you went down with your mates every morning and they all got a coffee and you just went for a chat and then had a cup of tea instead and you invested that money salary sacrificed it into your superannuation over 42 years you'd come away with 1.3 million so that's kind of where I stand on the latte debate and then um you know I was still feeling like this was sort of like no one quite believed me and then a couple months later later Susie Orman then did this whole piece about how you were and excuse my language but this is what she said you know peeing your money down the drain to the tune of about one million dollars based on what would happen if you put the money into the US equivalent of superannuation instead. So that's kind of where I stand on it. And it's not to say that drinking coffee is bad. It's it's about discretionary spending and habitual, you know, um, habitual uh, discretionary spending. Uh, my father, for instance, as he was recovering from uh, depression, he would walk every morning to his local coffee store. He would sit there, he'd read a paper. It was incredibly important for him. It almost had, you know, spiritual experience significance. And some people talk about coffee being like that for them. And if that's the case for you, that's fine. But like, what else are you doing that's a kind of habitual spending? Is it the takeaways on Friday? Is it buying bottled water? Australians are the second largest consumers of bottled water in the world, even though we have really safe drinking water. Uh, is it uh, getting in your car and driving somewhere rather than walking? Like what are the things that you're doing that are discretionary expense expenses that you do regularly that you can look at and you can cut out? Yeah, beautifully said. And I mean, unfortunately, I'm trying to kick the, the coffee habit. I, I <laughs> love my coffee. And I'm a, de I'm a decaf. Man, now because I'm like you, I'm 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 uh, belting around, making dents in the ceiling. If I uh, drink real coffee during the day these days, but I, what I love about uh, what you've shared there again, pick pick your poison and and pick where you, you can slice from. But just knocking thirty five dollars a week out of the equation uh, and putting that thirty five dollars on the home loan, th there's another three years and uh, nearly eighty five grand's worth of interest you've saved just. By doing that, so again, it's just you know what seems like a little thing can have a, a massive impact. Uh, the other thing I'd love for you to share with us, uh, Serena, which again is something I loved in the book, is your uh, uh, debit gold card strategy for discretionary spending. Can you just uh, <laughs> share a bit more on that one? Yeah. So every fortnight, hubby and I give each other an amount of money. We've just given ourselves a raise actually for many years. For about six years, we'd give each other, we'd put $100 each. We've now raised that to $120. Most people I know who do this do about $150. So like I said, we're differently on the frugal uh, sort of spectrum. And we put this on a separate card and we spend that on whatever we want to spend it on ourselves. I don't have to justify it to my husband. He doesn't have to justify it to me. He'll often sort of... Um, whinge a little bit or complain about the amount of op shop things I buy, especially jewellery and clothing. But you know what? 
it's my money on my card. I can do what I like with it. But I use that to buy coffees, you know, lunches with with with, with friends, um, you know, op shopping, you know, random purchases for things I might just suddenly want and so forth. And because I'm frugal and I don't actually buy a lot, I've actually got quite a lot of money on my card. <laughs> Why we call it uh, the gold card is because, and we've just changed, but for many, many years, we were actually using our Qantas cards. So people don't often know that um, these kind of frequent flyer cards uh, have a built-in uh, like a debit card function, and it's designed for when you travel overseas. The interest rate and the fees for overseas are not necessarily that great. There are better ways of doing it. Uh, but for domestic use, it's usually, you know, no ATM fees, and it's usually pretty pretty good and it looks like a credit card so that's why we did that but I have actually now changed uh, to another bank which also has that similar color so we've got like a bright orange kind of card um, and it's not the one you might think think of and um, changed to that just because now with interest rates going up we want that benefit of getting a bit of interest yeah I love it so you're combining the benefits of both there I, it's very similar I yeah, for our clients we yeah, implement what we call the kick-ass automatic saver system where you just need three accounts and an offset account where everything goes into a credit card that never leaves the house that pays all your uh, normal and committed regular expenses for council rates and other things and then you, what you're left with in the discretionary spend is your your living uh, debit card and that's all you need to focus on because once that's gone no more until your next payday uh, yep. but what you're doing is putting the bulk of your money where it needs to be which is either paying off the home or accumulating in that offset account while you're uh, very simply managing the the discretionary spend on things that uh, you want to rather than just uh, thinking, oh, I've got heaps of money in the account, we just keep spending without thinking about it. So so I love that. Uh, and I also love, uh, you know, there's a great section in your book where you talk about uh, making some extra money for your mortgage through housemates, uh, hosting a student, Airbnb. And, and given the rental crisis that we're currently in, as a, as a way for hardworking Aussies to help contribute to the large number of new skilled migrants that are coming into the country, what a great way to, to help solve that problem as well as pay off your mortgage. Because again, as, as you talked about in the book there, uh, you know, 650 bucks a month, uh, is going to, if you put that into the home line, it's going to slice nine years and four months off the equation. So, again, some really good tips on on how best to do that. Uh, the other thing I, I want to sort of focus on now, because there's always this feeling, oh, gee, if I'm putting everything into into the mortgage, I'm, you know, I'm going to be living on the smell of an ollie rag. How can we still have fun and live a little while paying off our mortgage early? Sorry. <laughs> oh, I don't have fun. I'm not joyful at all. Well, <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the gold card is one of those already. So, you know, you've got your own designated money that you can do that. But I do have a whole chapter called Taking a Break uh, in the book where I look about, you know, uh, we'll talk about travelling uh, cheaply and experiencing things. And, you know, the reality is that, you know, often first home buyers, not all, but often they are younger people and there's a lot going on in their life at that time. You know, they might want to get married. They might want to, you know, go to China, got to go travelling like I did when I was in my early 20s, for instance. Uh, you know, they might want to go backpacking, travel the world. And especially now after we've gone through COVID, like people are like, well, you don't know what's going to happen. So, you know, carpe diem, you know, seize the day. So it's unrealistic to think that you will never have these experiences. And some of these experiences can be so formative and so important. Um, you know, for instance, you know, my children are, are Eurasian, they're Taiwanese, Australian, my husband's Taiwanese. You know, I had a career working on uh, China-Taiwan issues for many years, and I would never have had all of that if I didn't take myself off to China when I was... 22, I think, 21, 21, 22, um, and then later to, to to Taiwan. So, you know, you do have to have a bit of balance there. But I've got some great tips on how to do that cheaply and how to do that affordably. And I'd also say, too, there's a bit of a mindset with this as well. We're often conditioned to think, particularly in this kind of package tour world, and that said, I'm going on a, a great discount trip, a deal trip next year to Europe, and we're really looking forward to it. Right. It's already book paid for, good deal, we're happy with it. Um, that the more money you spend equals a better holiday. Yeah. And the reality is it's not always 
the case. Uh, we had a lovely cruise over Christmas and it was a beautiful cruise, uh, more expensive than I'd normally pay, but it was also a really important family event. And the amount of whinges, like there's this Facebook group, and it was filled with whinges. And, you know, I'm there experiencing the service from the wait staff, many of whom were new because, um, you know, they everything closed down during COVID and it was only just being stood up. So they were doing their best but didn't always have the training um, or the systems in place. Um, you know, I'm there eating the food, I'm there seeing the scenery. Um, everything from my perspective is pretty good. But those same people can be really upset about that. So just to know that, you know, your happiness and joy, it is a mindset. It doesn't have a dollar figure. Just because you spent a lot of money on a holiday doesn't mean it's actually more fun um sometimes the fun things happen you know like quite spontaneously uh and unexpectedly like on sunday we had neighbors and friends around and um you know just had a barbecue in the backyard and um we had the candles out and we had these like mini sort of flame things um in safe conditions i might add to um we were very aware of um you know the current bushfire uh threat and that was really fun and didn't cost a lot of money so it it is your happiness is very much a mind mind mindset thing. One hundred percent agree, and, and just sort of uh, uh, reinforcing that point, the, the the best holiday that my wife Sonia and I have ever had uh, is a trip we did to Europe years ago, and we were on a really tight budget, like a really tight budget. But that forced us to go to places and do things and and try different types of accommodation that we never would have if we'd gone down the vacuum traveller hotel route. You know, we did homestays and and the the connections and and relationships we built as a result of that uh, just just uh, awesome in comparison to following the sort of uh, completely planned out itinerary in in the the normal places to say. So, and I think the the other I mean. Sonia and I, yeah, Sonia's currently delving into a frequent flyer exercise where we, we she's delving into cards. And, uh, it's an Amex type exercise uh, where uh, on normal expenditure you can uh, potentially double or triple the frequent flyer points. Which and and there's some really good programs out there now that you can then use those points for uh, travel experiences, which. Uh, is is creating an opportunity for expenditure that you're going to make anyway, but giving you the op- opportunity to travel and, and enjoy it without any extra expense. So again, it's where there's a will, there's a way, and uh, if you can get creative about it and focus on the experience rather than the than the uh, what it's going to cost, then life can be a lot more exciting. So I love that. Now, I guess just to to uh, circle back to a, a couple of my opening comments in in the introduction i love your thoughts on uh your, and your views on paying off your home loan first before investing what's what's your read on that score yeah so i do talk about this in the book and i try to be a little bit careful about about this because often like when people buy a house they also get interesting investing and they sort of want to do everything like it's oh yeah I I should be investing in in shares as well as investing in the house and I should be doing super and I should be doing all these things Um, and my take is not to say that you can't invest in everything but just to sort of keep it simple like there's something so incredibly empowering about having a really clear goal and while a lot of the research does say that other classes of investment, particularly shares, over the long run will do better, somehow psychologically we make those sacrifices to pay the mortgage and make the additional payments in a way that we might not for other classes. And I don't really know why that is. It's just it's a fact. So um, I would say that if, particularly if you've just bought a house, you know, either recently uh, you know, maybe this year or in the, you know, in the last couple of years, just knuckle down for a bit and just really focus on that and then focus on that hard. And then once you've got a little bit more equity and you're a bit more secure, you're in a situation when you can take better, greater risks because, you know, often the higher the return, the higher the risk. I mean, you know, this is usually taught as investing one-on-one, but to be honest, it's not always the case. Sometimes they're overlooked opportunities, but, you know, generally the, the higher the risk, the higher the return. Um, you know, if you've got quite a lot of equity in your home because you've been paying off your mortgage and you do then make a small investment in something risky, like angel investing, for instance, and it doesn't pay off, it's not catastrophic. It's not the end of the world. But if you have only just, you know, started your mortgage and then you do all of these sorts of things and then you go, oh, I, sh- I shouldn't miss the crypto boat and I shouldn't miss this and you shouldn't do that. It can then lead to some big problems. So I just sort of think, particularly in the early days, have a really clear goal, 
make paying off your mortgage, you know, a priority because the benefits to be gained, you know, from, you know, getting down that compound interest are huge and do it. And, you know, there is no such thing really as a sure thing because, you know, I, I guess, you know, there is an opportunity cost here, you know, if you're focusing on your mortgage at the expense of other, you know, classes of investment with higher return. But it's pretty good. You know, if you're going to pay, make additional repayments on your mortgage, you're not really going to lose money other than, you know, the opportunity cost or something else. But it is a kind of a sure thing. It's a bit like, you know, a bird in the hand sort of thing. So that's kind of where I, I, I stand on this. And, and I do think it is important because I think there are so many flashy kind of investments around. Now it's really easy to get distracted and um, not saying you can't do those things, but just have one clear focus first and just really nail that. Yeah, well said. And I think it's about creating the, the happy habits and the daily disciplines through yeah. making those repayments that, that then will enable you at some point once you're in a better position to be able to in, invest in other things, whether it be an investment property or shares or, or what have you. But but creating that habitual uh, commitment to that exercise is the first thing because, uh, you know, I'd much rather people be paying off their home loan and blowing it on going to the pub on Friday night or socialising <laughs> over the weekend. So uh, you know, it's very well... Uh, very good point made there. Now, I, I uh, always at this point in the exercise, Serena, and you'll probably remember from this uh, when we did it last time, but I'll, I'm going to get a different twist from you this time. Uh, jump into what I call the ambush fast four, the old bush round where I'm going to give you the blindfold and cigarette and, and hit you with some quick questions. So you, uh, t- to kick that off, Serena, what's your current favourite quote and why? I don't think I have one or maybe I do actually I will give my own quote one day at a time one thing at a time uh which is something that really got me through being suddenly single and divorce and everything else beautiful quote and pretty self-explanatory yeah, apart from your your own uh, awesome books that you've authored uh, what's the top book that you'd currently recommend we read and why oh I like your books <laughs> <laughs> The one with the the black and the gold. I forget the title. Where yeah, the freedom formula. The, that's the one. Yeah. That's right. With the the back to front writing. Um, I really like that. It's just so really lovely and honest. You have to read that book. Excellent. Thank you very much. I I didn't expect that plug, but I'll 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 take the compliment. <laughs> Thank you. And uh, now back on the investment arena. What what's the worst and best piece of investment advice that you've ever received, Serena? I guess the worst investment advice was just before the a the GFC. We had someone advise that we mortgage the property to the hilt and buy shares. We didn't do it, Thank but it could have been catastrophic. But actually, if I could have had a second really bad uh, piece of uh, investment advice, it wasn't for me. It was actually my nana. She was moved, downsizing, sold the family house, moved to a retirement uh, village also around that time. And a financial advisor advised her to invest in a real estate investment trust, um, which then within a year was frozen and she never saw any of her money again. Oh, that's terrible. Well, what about on the flip side, though? What's the best piece of investment advice that you've ever received? I guess getting into property. You know, I guess, you know, talking to other people who were property investors, especially where we we were, and just really getting into that. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. And and learning about index funds, you know, the precursor to ETFs. And I wish I'd done that sooner as well. Yeah, no, great advice. Yeah, coming back to the habits thing we touched on a little bit during the chat, what's a, a personal money habit, uh, a happy money habit that you employ that's contributed most to your nil success? I, I'm going to be, this is a bit of a, a cliche, and that's shop around. And I say this because I, I know one producer who hates it when people say that. But for instance, I wanted to buy some perfume on the weekend for our anniversary. It was my gift to myself. And the online price was $10 cheaper than what was in store. So um, same product, but just 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 really shop around. And we just had to buy a new dishwasher and what we got was about $300 cheaper just by spending a little bit of time doing a bit of research. Yeah, brilliantly said. Uh, again, we've got to break through this instant everything now routine. Uh, just do a little bit of home. It doesn't take much and ask the hard question uh, to, to keep a lot of your hard earned in your pocket. Uh, final question then to sort of bring our great conversation to uh, a, a summary today, Serena. What are your key mortgage reduction takeaways and must-do actions for homeowners? I think really just get in the habit of making additional repayments and do it from the beginning. 
like don't wait like so many people are like oh but you know I've only just done this and I still want to buy the new furniture and I want to do this like do it straight away like even if you can only afford an additional five ten dollars like do it because you never know the time that you might need access to those funds so every single thing you can do like um like I, we're talking about coffees before like often I would you know, be in a line with a friend who would want to go down for coffee and I'd just go for a walk with them. And that, you know, say $5 they would spend, I would go back up and put that on my mortgage yeah. money I didn't spend. So, you know, get into that habit of prioritising and making all those additional repayments. Yeah, beautifully said. Now, awesome. Uh, now, for those like me in the audience who really resonated with your message today, Serena, how can listeners find out more and, and get more involved with you? They can find me on most social channels, so the Joyful Frugalista on Insta, my website, joyfulfrugalista.com, and my podcast, The Joyful Frugalista, as well. Love it, uh, and great place to have a listen. I uh, have a good listen to uh, your your podcast myself as a, a, an avid uh, podcast listener. Uh, I really get a lot of uh really useful uh, and actionable tips out of, out of doing that. So I encourage everyone to do that. Uh, now, uh, do you have a, a, a challenge that you'd like to give the Get Invested listeners in, in relation to uh, your latest book, Serena? <laughs> yes, I would like to challenge them to implement one tip from my latest book, How to Pay Your Mortgage Off in 10 Years. Now, you may not have read the book yet, but we've talked about a lot of things, and I would like you to share it on Instagram. So when this, this goes live, I'll also be sharing this. And so leave a comment and then I will have a book to give away to you. Brilliant. Absolutely love it. So I'm really going to encourage everyone to take some action because it's it's the start that stops most people. So make sure you do something. Don't just listen to it. Do something. And uh, Serena's giving you a great op opportunity to do exactly that. Uh, for those that are looking to buy the book, where's the best place to get it, Serena? All good bookstores and online and also through uh, my website. Awesome. Look, uh, always love ca catching with you, Serena. You've got great energy and you, you sh always share some really useful and actionable uh, stuff that can make a, a big difference over time. Uh, really appreciate uh, you coming on the show and uh, let's keep the conversation going. Thank you so much for inviting me. I, we could chat all day, I know. <laughs> you could, you could, absolutely. Okay, we'll, we'll talk again. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Get Invested on the Property Hub podcast channel your home for property investment insights and inspiration. And don't leave yet until you've taken the next step towards living by design. By getting my award-winning book, Get Invested, absolutely free when you sign up at knowhowproperty.com.au or bushymartin.com.au. And finally, make sure you subscribe to Property Hub to get your weekly dose of Get Invested inspiration along with every episode of Realty Talk. Australia's leading property show for red-hot property investing news and insights, direct from industry leaders and influencers. Remember to always get invested in your knowledge and I look forward to seeing you next time.